Welcome to Emil Franzink's Voices of the West, dedicated to the principle that America was better off when our TV shows featured cowboys instead of lawyers. Well, howdy again. It is that time uh, for Emil Franzi's Voices of the West. I'm Harry Alexander. Bunker de France is here. And our guest today is uh, John Rhodes, and we've also got David Layton in the studio. David was here, what, a couple weeks ago? Yeah. Uh, a couple weeks ago. Yeah. I decided to come back. I don't think he left. I think he was hiding. That might be. That, that could be. Could I was be. sleeping under the table. You guys just didn't know it, and you woke me up. So I kind of just jumped on, like, oh, I was here for the okay. show. Okay. Well, that's cool. <laughs> Uh, we're going to be talking today about uh, a person, actually two people who were involved in uh, rodeo. And in fact, they've both been nominated to the Rodeo Hall of Fame. Then who might that be? Well, that would be uh, John Rhodes and... Uh, How about Tom? Tom. Tom. <laughs> I knew it, the name was there. Are you talking about Rodeo Hall of Fame? Rodeo, or are you talking about... Uh, Rodeo Hall of Fame. There are two Rodeo Halls of yeah. Fame. One in Colorado Springs, which is run by the, the PRCA. Yeah. And then the one in Oklahoma City, which is a nationally... Uh, Museum of the West, yeah. and that's the one that they've been nominated. That's the granddaddy. For. Yes, but your your relatives have uh, another distinction, <laughs> <laughs> and for those who know Arizona history or remember, we did a show last uh, year about the Pleasant Valley War, and uh, that was uh, well. I mean, why not have the uh, the grandson here to talk about it? <laughs> It's easier than me talking about it. Yeah, a survivor. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah <I'm> a survivor. <laughs> so go ahead, John. John Rhodes. He's a, a, a relative, well, a descendant he, of John Tewksbury. Yeah. Um, it started. It's James Dunning Tewksbury was the original Tewksbury that came to the West um, and landed in uh, Eureka during the Gold Rush time and married. Maybe in an Indian ceremony, there's no records at those days of marriages, but they had five children, four boys and a girl. Um, the, but they got involved in an Indian uprising, and uh, James Dunning took his children and left and went to Battle Mountain, Nevada. And we've tried for a long time to find where this Indian lady was and what tribe she was from. We think she was from a tribe, but we can't verify that and we've been trying to and uh, it's very difficult to but find you can't do DNA on her no, probably the, the Indians won't allow it because that takes their soul they mm -hmm. spirit. so anyway they took them there and then then the uh, Battle Mountain Nevada because they raised fine horses that was a uh, area which was uh, famous for their horse racing and they raced horses there for a while and then the boys decided they wanted to come south but moved to uh, came down to Pleasant Valley, discovered Pleasant Valley, which is in the central part of the state, uh, in Gila County. Uh, pretty isolated area. To get to Young or Pleasant Valley is 20 miles of dirt road, either from the north or the south, mm -hmm. and uh, it's still pretty isolated. And probably one of the most beautiful parts of the state. It is. It's, it's <laughs> because it's isolated. <laughs> because it's isolated, yeah. <laughs> Don't pay those roads. <laughs> and they, so they, they started, they were for first, some of the first settlers there, and they raised cattle and horses. They continued to raise horses, and some uh, the Graham family moved in a little later. Uh, they met one of Ed Tewksbury, one of the brothers, in Globe, and they said they were looking for a place to start ranching. They'd come from Iowa and had bought some cattle. And he said, come to Pleasant Valley. It's a large area. There's plenty of room for you. It's all open range. So they did, and... Uh, uh, Mr. Flake, uh, Osmer Flake, who was half of the Snowflake uh, <laughs> family, Erastus Snow and Osmer Flake, founded Snowflake, obviously. That was the flaky side of the yeah. family. <laughs> uh, he got, um, sold his, some cattle to a fellow named Harry Stinson, who ran cattle up in there. And Harry hired one of the Grahams and one of the Tewksburys, James, the oldest boy, to um, watch over his herd. Uh, they did, they watched over his herd, and there was each of them picked up a few strays along the way, and they uh, they had their uh, some of these mavericks, <laughs> and they uh, decided that they ought to get a brand, their own brand. Well, they so Ed uh, James told uh, uh, the Graham brother to go to Prescott and register the brand. 
he went to Prescott, registered Brandon, his name only. And, of course, this caused uh, immediate <coughs> consternation. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Ownership. Imagine <laughs> yeah. that. And uh, uh, that didn't actually, that that started the, um, the feud, the Pleasant Valley War. However, it had been going on for a while because of many, many other side issues. Uh, it, I, I like to call it the Pleasant Valley War. Some people call it the Graham Tewksbury feud. That was actually the just a bunch of battles in the overall Within war. The, thing, yeah. the war was uh, it was more than just Graham's and Tewksbury. Well, what do you think of the Toto Basin War title? Because that's, that's pretty, that, I've seen that too, and I think that's pretty uh, pretty pretty accurate also. Well, it was uh, uh, more violent than the Hatfield McCoy. Feud. Oh yeah. yeah. Yeah, I think there was 15 people killed in the Hatfield McCoy, and they yeah. they they can account for at least 24. Well, I was reading in one of the things here that they can account for 22 uh, Graham graves and four Tweaksbury graves, which would be 26. Yeah, and then they figure the ancillary. There's about you know up to maybe even 50 people altogether. There, there was one story going around, and I can't confirm it or or deny it. But there was one that uh, somebody went down there and says you can't go to Pleasant Valley without seeing a body hanging from every tree, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> which I think may be a little, a little exaggeration. Yeah. But uh, they, uh, they, and they, uh, <coughs> the war started, and then there was various battles, and you can follow them. There's many books written about it. Mm-hmm. Um, the Graham boys, or the, the Tewksbury boys, the, uh, Frank, uh, which was, he was kind of a sickly one. He had TB, uh, and they, when they went to trial over this brand thing, he got measles and died of pneumonia on his way home. And the Tewksbury's kind of blamed the Grahams because the Grahams had filed the suit against them for stealing the cattle. Wasn't that also uh, because Stenson had put them up, hired them, to be range detectives yes. without uh, telling the uh, Tweaksbury's. Yeah, and, and so they were like spies, really, <laughs> and, setting them up. And he, the, the, he wasn't very intelligent because he registered that letter. Yeah, yeah. Like, <laughs> and of course, the Tewksbury lawyer found this letter and they threw it out. They threw the case out immediately. You know, there's an interesting kind of a side note in the history of the West. When you start looking at the number of trials that people, because somebody shot somebody, and and, and the number of acquittals, an unarmed man shot in the back, and the guy who shot him is acquitted because it was the common thing there that if somebody was known to try to trying to kill you, you had every right to kill him any way you could, and you'd be acquitted because it was self-defense. <laughs> yeah, that's true. That's kind of neat. I like that. Uh, you catch on again. Um, the next Tewksbury, and of course, I know the Tewksbury history part of it. Yeah, uh, John Tewksbury, who was my great grandfather, uh, uh, that was the son of uh, JD. The, right? That was JD's one of JD's sons. Went out and was uh, going out to get the horses one morning. He and uh, his partner, and they went out, and the Grahams were laying. Graham factions uh, were laying out in the hills and shot him and killed him and there's been all kinds of stories about what actually happened mm-hmm. uh, everything from my great-grandmother Mary Ann Tewksbury her going out there and covering because the hogs were eating she just walked out there and they quit shooting and let her do that but what actually as far as we've been able to determine based on letters from um, Lydia Tewksbury who was Marianne's mother and JD's wife mm-hmm. uh, lived with uh, um, my grandfather f- for a while and said that what actually happened was that they went out, he, she and Marianne went out and put a tarp over the bodies and put rocks around them to keep the hogs, the yeah. wild hogs from eating the bodies. And your grandfather was born the day after the shooting? A month after. A month after the shooting. A month after the shooting, yeah, he was born. Yeah. Wow. Uh, the shooting was in September, and he was born in October. And uh, so then she later married John Rhodes, uh, who was a had a ranch in Pleasant Valley. Uh, and he was not actual, an actual participant in the war, but he was uh, a 
not a not an actual participant. However, he was sided with the Tewksbury mm-hmm. in many things, and he and Marianne got married. He had three children of his own. He had come from uh, the Mammoth area, where he and uh, a Mexican lady had three children, and he came down there and picked those three children up and took them up, and my grandfather had a sister who was two years older than he, Bertha, and so between the two of them, they had five children under the age of five. (laughs) (laughs) Busy, busy around the house. That's a roundup unto itself. (laughs) Underfoot, that's what you call it. (laughs) the, the, uh, the, um, The funny thing was, John Rhodes uh, and then my grandfather and his sister took the last name of Rhodes. Two things were going against him. One was the Tewksbury name because yes. of the because of the notoriety of it. The second was they were still being referred to as half breeds mm-hmm. because they were at that point they were down to quarter breeds, but they were still yeah. Indian. You know that's heritage. that's so interesting because one of the things that come across in in research you know on this is you know they have a tendency to kind of simplify it, sheepmen versus cattlemen, but there were the Mormons, you had the, the, the sheep element, you had the ranch element, you had the uh, merchants in the area, and it was a, really a complicated mess. Oh, yeah. And people taking sides, you know, and, and people that didn't want to take sides getting sucked in anyway. You know, innocent people died as well as, I won't say guilty people, but participants, I guess. And David Layton, you got involved in this. Uh, actually, thank you for the recommendation on having John as a guest. Uh, you write a column called Street Smarts for the Arizona Daily Star here in Tucson, and this is how you kind of stumbled on this, is that right? Yeah, actually, um, for one and then later a second street name in Tucson, I came in contact with John um, Freeman Road, which is on the far east side of Tucson, uh, was named after his mother's side of the family. Um, So I actually interviewed him on that. Uh, I think John could actually tell the story better because I kind of just interviewed him and did some research on it. We'll we'll, we'll get to that. I'm just trying to lay some groundwork. Okay, yeah. (laughs) Yeah, so that's why I met him. story. Yeah, Yeah. Yeah, so I actually met him that, and then there was also a um, a dry spring on Mount Lemon uh, in the Santa Catalina Mountains called Mercer Spring, and that was actually named after his, was that your uncle? Uncle. Uncle Del Mercer, and there's also a tiny little street name called uh, Mercer Spring Place at the bottom of the Santa Catalina Mountains in one of the developments. So I use that street uh, to tell the history of uh, Del Mercer and how Mercer Spring got its name. That was off of uh, Bear Canyon Road, wasn't it? The Mercer's Place? Uh, the Mercer Ranch? Yeah. Mercer Ranch was uh, near. Uh, what's now Catalina Highway. It was okay. at the original, The ran- there was essentially two ranches. There was the ranch house at the bottom of the mountains before uh, the Catalina Highway was built, what we call the Mount Lemon Highway. Uh, he had a ranch down there, but he would actually run his cattle up to what's now called Molino Basin. Mm-hmm. And that was kind of... Spring, yeah. yeah, well, it wasn't just very spring. It was just a flat area where he could he could run his cattle. Um, so he kind of had two ranches. One was a ranch house at the very bottom uh, next to what is now uh, Catalina Highway at the very bottom right before you go up. And then he also had the ranch where he uh, had the, the cattle up there, and then he would have tents up there, and then his children and wife would spend the summer up there uh, and use Mercer Spring, what later became Mercer Spring. It was just a spring at the point uh, to water his uh, family and I'm sure probably his cattle mm-hmm. as well. So that's just a little... Little history on Mount, what's on Mount Lemon. It's, it's a fascinating it's, story. It's right? amazing how it's all intertwined. Oh, yeah. You know that, that that's that's I find. Yeah, his, his family's got all sorts of history here, from the Freeman Road to Mercer Spring to the Tewksbury of Central. And then you get the wives' families and their families, and yeah. Well, and then we've also got the rodeo component, and that's what we want to talk about. But I think before we get launch into that. We're going to do our first commercial break here um, so that we can have more time to talk about all of this stuff. That's a heck of an idea. You know, that's why I get the big bucks. Yeah, you get more than I do. I do. Yeah. Spend it about the same way, too. 
I want to get paid. Yeah. Hey, I'll, I'll pay you double what he makes. Okay. <laughs> so still zero. But I'll get a commission. Okay. <laughs> this is Abel Franzi's Voices of the West. We will be back with much more right after this. The Tucson Trap and Skeet Club is one of the best-kept economic secrets in town. This 900-member group maintains one of the finest shotgun shooting ranges in the country, featuring trap, skeet, five-stand, and sporting clays fields, and hosts national and international events that bring thousands of people and millions of dollars into our community. The Spring Satellite Grand American Tournament alone involves 1,200 participants for 10 days. Learn more about this and their other contributions to our community at TucsonTrapAndSkeet.com. Can you even imagine switching back to pen and paper to run your business? Every year we become more and more dependent upon our technology. If your network is not set up properly, you're just one click or one email away from losing data critical to your operation. Arizona Computer Guru offers a host of services to prevent and protect you from disaster. From online backup services to email filtering to fully managed network services, Arizona Computer Guru is here to keep your network secure, your data safe, and your budget in the black. To schedule your free consultation, call 304-8300. Imus Wilkinson Investments, 777-1911, is a unique investment management firm. They pay little attention to where the market indicators are because smart investment management goes way beyond checking stock exchanges. They are very good at managing all types of investment based on client expectations. They build relationships, and they want clients, not customers. My family is proudly included among them, and they'll help you, as they did us, design a portfolio that achieves what you want when you need it. Imus Wilkinson Investments, they're really good at what they do. 777-1911. Hello, friends. This is Laura Darnell, the host of Homegrown KC, a podcast dedicated to exploring Kansas City's fascinating history and sharing stories from its rich past. Each episode will cover a person, place, or event from Kansas City's history. Homegrown KC can be found on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, Pandora, Google Music, and anywhere else you listen to podcasts. For additional information about the show, please visit my website, homegrownkc.wordpress.com. You keep a boy a washing the hog, and you keep him out of mischief. Besides that, you get a mighty clean hog that way. You know who said that? My grandpa, Hog Hagen. This is the Voices of the West. Up every morning at the break of day, you'll hear a big bearded cowboy at the chuck wagon say, Gather round, boys, the coffee's hot on the fire. There's a full of branding, we're heating the irons. I want to smell that scorched hair and burning high. The horses are green. I could listen to that all day long. Rex Allen Jr., Ride Cowboy Ride. And uh, we welcome uh, Homegrown KC uh, podcast promotion. And uh, give them a, check them out after you're done with this one. Uh, we had them until just now. We just got them. That's why. Awesome. So, uh, Harry Alexander, Bunker de France, uh, with Abel Franzi's Voices of the West. In studio is John Rhodes and David Layton. We are talking about uh, John and Tom. Uh, this would be John's father and uncle? Grandfather. Grandfather. Boy. You need a scorecard, man. You keep your finger on the on the page. You need a scorecard. Need a scorecard. So uh, anyway, the, they were uh, rodeo world champions. Uh, first father and son of rodeo world champions. We want to get to that. David Layton is here because he's a journalist, a researcher, and writes a column for the Arizona Daily Star called Street Smarts, and that's how he got involved in with John, and then got us involved, and here we are. And don't, really and appreciate don't, that. Yeah, and don't forget uh, the September issue of Arizona Highways has my article on uh, yes, Ray did. Manley. So if you're yeah, yep. looking at the Arizona Highways this month on the shelves, uh, I did the Ray Manley article there. So. And if you missed our program uh, where we talked about that, that was just, uh, what, two weeks ago? So yeah, about uh, two you, weeks ago. you'd be able to find it without any trouble at Spotify.com or at VoicesOfTheWest.net. 24 7. 24 and 7. And yeah, that's some great entertainment right there. For free at no cost. You know, <laughs> you, you can't shake a stick. Well, you can't shake a stick. even got that. autographed copies. You know, and I, my, mine is framed. 
Well, mine is going down to the Empire Ranch Foundation Library <laughs> and will be part of the permanent records down there. All right. That's what I like to hear from you guys. Yeah. Hey. Doing your part. <laughs> okay. So, shall we go into the, should we go into more road uh, stuff here uh, with the family or should we talk rodeo? <laughs> What's the pleasure? Whatever you want to talk about, John. Well, we got we got best my grandfather being built, born a month after his dad was killed. The uh, and I've got to throw in my grandmother because she was one tough lady. Yeah, the ladies uh, are important. She killed a couple Indians when they attacked <laughs> one of the ranches uh, yeah. on one of their raids. But she also had a husband lost, and then the last Graham was shot and. Um, Two people were brought to trial for the killing, Ed Tewksbury and John Rhodes. He was uh, ambushed and killed down in Mesa while he was going to... He had left Pleasant Valley and had no connection with Pleasant Valley any longer, but uh, as James Tewksbury, before he passed away, said, no uh, son of a gun can live within a mile of my my house and <laughs> shot and ambushed my brother and killed him and then he died and Ed took up the fight and uh, uh, it's pretty it's well known that Ed is the one that actually shot yeah. him uh, at this point but John Rhodes on trial and it's it's, <laughs> it's a great story when he was on trial uh, the uh, Tom Graham's widow was sitting in the yes. audience behind behind him as he was sitting in the uh, at the bench, and during the trial, she jumped up, pulled a pistol out of her purse, <laughs> put it to the head, pulled the trigger, and the hammer caught on her scarf. Yeah, <laughs> Mary Ann lost her second husband. Yeah, talk about a, a, a reprieve. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> and they they found him not guilty and turned him loose. Anyway, <laughs> and he was tried twice. Yes. Yes. Yeah, uh, and Ed Tewksbury was tried, but when they found out that uh, he had never been actually charged with murder, yeah, they turned, they had to turn him loose because he'd never been charged. Yeah. And uh, anyway, and strangely enough, Ed ended up being a deputy sheriff in Globe. Yeah. John Rhodes turned out to be the oldest Arizona Ranger. <laughs> yeah, frontier justice. <laughs> That's uh, the way it was heading west. But the, the family moved, John Rhodes moved his family back down to the Mammoth area where he had come from originally. Mm -hmm. And found him, they homesteaded down there. And by the time, that he had a son, one of his sons was named John. So you had John Rhodes, the old but the stepfather. You had John Rhodes, who was John Tewksbury Rhodes. And you had John Frank Rhodes, who was John. What's it? A lot of Johns in his family. It was very easy to confuse him. And some of the stories you read, again, they really need, get confused. Need another scorecard. <laughs> yeah. you know, I've got a question for you, David. Yes, sir. Now, up, up in uh, Mammoth, there is the uh, the Mercer House. I think was it the Mercer? Where they, there's, in, there's a picture of it in your article. I don't know. <laughs> oh, I think it was at the. Is that still standing? The Blue Front Inn. Blue yeah, Front Inn. That, that, that was my grandmother Bessie McKinney. That was her father's mm -hmm. home. And if you look at it, and that, the picture, I don't remember whether it shows it or not, but there's two roof lines. Mm -hmm. One was the McKinney home, and after the, everyone was gone, he added a second area, which was a was a a bar, he mm -hmm. turned into a bar. Um, Del Mercer was born in the McKinney home. By the time it had been turned into a bar, <laughs> my father Tom was born in the back room of that bar on a pool table. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, there's multi-purposing, you know. That's right. You know. Who, who needs and, hospitals when you have, like, a big bar, you know? Yeah. <laughs> so, so was he an accomplished pool player as well? <laughs> Nobody was a heck of a drinker. <laughs> That was a noble occupation back then. Nice, yeah. nice, nice. So they got involved in rodeo. Uh, John Tewksbury Rhodes started his career, what, 1919 here. And uh, he, according to the nominating letter here, uh, rode horseback from his ranch on, in Mammoth, near Mammoth, 60 miles to Tucson, and participated in what they called a ranch rodeo, which is not the same as real rodeo. Real rodeo. Yeah, that's real rodeo. Not yeah. What, yeah, so. yeah, the, yeah and, then, and then the Tucson Rodeo started in 1925. Mm -hmm. um, 
the they were job, ropers, right? They were ropers mm -hmm. because they had learned to rope in right along that San Pedro River, which is all brush, and it. Mm -hmm. I mean, you've got to so be they, good to be able to rope anything up. Those they areas. probably competed against old Ben Johnson and Buckshot Sorrels. Oh, yeah, Ben Johnson was a very close friend of my grandfather's. Yeah. Um, and Jacoba Canute was yeah. another one that was a good friend. But um, and Reba McIntyre's father and mother, uh, <coughs> and grandfather were the second father and son. Oh, did and they were uh, they were all pretty good friends. But anyway, um, this in twenty five they started the Tucson Rodeo, and they uh, John Rhodes was one of the judges. They mm -hmm. had. Was one of the judges because he'd been in these ranch rodeos and knew the uh, everything, and so they he was one of the three judges. And it, the adjacent ranch was owned by a man named Bud Parker, and I don't know, he, pretty famous in the area also. But and wasn't he, he a lawman too at one years. time? Huh? Wasn't he also a lawman at one time, Parker? No, Bud was not. Oh, okay. No, there was three Bud. There was three Parker brothers that came out of Texas: Hope, Bud, and. Dink were the three brothers that came out of Texas. What interesting names, huh? <laughs> Dink is a good good cowboy name. And, and oh. that's, a, that's another great story in itself that that family came Well, let's hear that then. I love great stories. <laughs> but, um, so, and it, they they started, and he they roped, and in from 26 till, I've been doing a lot of research on, on this, and I've done a lot of research in the Tucson Rodeo particularly, because mm -hmm. that was their hometown rodeo. And they were there when it started. Well, they weren't. My dad wasn't, but uh, Tom wasn't. He was old enough at that mm -hmm. point. But John was. And they went from 1926 to 1956 in 30 years. And I've got, got all the records here. They were only two years that either one of them or both of them didn't win money in the Tucson Rodeo. Wow. And they were. My dad was the. Tom was the, the champion, the, the top money winner. Twice because he won the calf roping and the team roping. I got another question for you here because this is an old time cowboy. Who was a good friend of mine, and he came down to Tucson later. Uh, he was from Montana, but John Bailey did. Did you know him by any chance? Bailey. Mm -hmm. no. Wife named Edith. Uh, he was a hell of a cowboy, and him and him and Bud Stout were good friends. Bud was from Silver City, but I don't know what his you know Bud obviously wasn't his given name. So I don't know what his real first name really was because that's all I ever knew was Bud. Well, Dave, Dave Stout was a, uh, and he was from Lordsburg. Uh, well, Dave Stout was a, a writer. He wrote a lot of books, and he was very this big in the management that. of the PRCA for a while. Yeah, and his Bud was, was a turtle too. Uh, oh, well, I, I don't know. But yeah, different parts of the country, you know. Yeah, it's Silver City. Yeah. Orangeburg, not that far. Pretty, far. Not, not that far, no. So, and his family had, was pretty good sized ranching family up yeah. around Silver City. Um, I, but they then they, um, my, my grandfather won the world championships in '36 and '38 as a team roper, mm -hmm. and his partner at the, and his partner at that point was Asbury Shell, who's in the Rodeo Hall of Fame, and he won it in '35 and '37. And the years that Asbury won, my grandfather was second. The years yeah. that my grandfather won, Asbury was second. <laughs> <laughs> and then Tom was steer roping champion in 43 and 44. Yes, there, and for <clears throat> some, there's a difference between team roping and steer roping. Mm -hmm. Now, was that jerk down, uh, steer roping? Steer or roping is, is jerk down, yeah. Yeah, because I know it changed over the years. Yes, it has. I got to see, when I got out of the Navy in 62, uh, I got to see Sonny Wright and Sonny Davis in a 10-head jerk down competition over at Carrizosa. And that's one of my greatest memories of all time, watching these old pros just flip them down. Yeah. <laughs> They and they both won steer roping at Pendleton. Yeah, and that's good. And they yeah. both have won at Cheyenne and Salinas. Salinas, a big, Salinas is a big rodeo. It's yeah, a California rodeo. It's the that was the biggest for a long time. And they won there. My great, my father was a steer roping champion. Yeah, uh, in '43 and '44. Um, well, they definitely deserve a place in the in the Hall of Fame. Well, yeah. you know, obviously I'm a little prejudiced, but I, I look at the names and. 
I recognize an awful lot of them that were their partners. Yeah. And that they roped with Dale Smith comes to mind. Well, you know, a lot of times it's just a matter of somebody doing the paperwork and making the nomination. Well, that, you know, it's funny because growing up, I never knew they were world champions. It yeah. was never mm-hmm. talked about. Yeah. I knew they rodeoed and I knew they won a lot. I never heard of anything about being world champions well, until many years later when I was digging through a trunk and started running across these newspaper articles that I got interested. Yeah. Hmm. I went up to see the Cowboy Hall of Fame in Oklahoma City and believe it or not, yeah. my father's picture is up in, in All there. over the place probably, <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, you, you, you're like me probably. I grew up in all the old, old cowboys that I knew and they passed it on down to me is you don't brag on yourself. Yeah. I learned to do that after I got in the picture business. <laughs> but, uh, but, uh, that's, a, that's more of a Hollywood thing about bragging about yourself. Hey, <laughs> Those aren't real cowboys. <clears throat> Drugstore cowboys have been mighty kind to me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I was, I was flipping through this little book that uh, John Rhodes here brought about his father and grandfather. It looks like uh, competed with Ed Eccles. Um, Eccles yeah. Avenue in Tucson mm-hmm. yeah. uh, near downtown. Mm-hmm. That's named for him. Uh, Jack Kinney, who was Pima County Board of Supervisors for many years. Uh, he's got Kinney Road in uh, the Tucson Mountain area, Mountain Park area. So I just thought that was kind of interesting. What yeah. Another column in there for you. Uh, I think I've already covered those two guys. So. <laughs> you got to get the streets in between. Then. How do you get from one to the other? <laughs> yeah, what roads do you take? Yeah, there you go. We are talking with uh, John Rhodes, David Layton, and uh, Bunker de France is here. I'm Harry Alexander. This is Emil Francis, Voices of the West. We are talking about a bunch of things, uh, mainly uh, John and Tom Rhodes being the first father and son rodeo world champions. Among other things, we'll be back with much more right after these messages. When looking for a property management company, here are some things you should consider. How long has the company been in business? What types of properties can they manage for you? And does the company give back to the community? Well, your search is over. The Paul Ash Management Company meets and exceeds those considerations. They've been in business in Tucson, Arizona since the 1960s. They manage all types of properties throughout Arizona and elsewhere, from residential to commercial to public sector properties. The Paul Ash Management Company also dedicates its time and resources to numerous community projects, including help funding the drive for the USS Arizona Memorial at the University of Arizona. You also want a property management company that puts you, the customer, for First, contact the Paul Ash Management Company today at paulashmanagement.com and ask about the complete package or call 520-795-2100. That's 520-795-2100. The Paul Ash Management Company, property managers you can trust. America, let me tell you about Sergeant Greg Anderson. He recently served two tours in Afghanistan where he received a bronze star for heroism and a purple heart for injuries sustained in combat. He recently left military service, and now he's unemployed. The unemployment rate among transitioning service members is unacceptably high, much higher than the general population. Many of our men and women in uniform gave up good jobs and careers to join the military and take up the fight for freedom around the globe. They deserve a chance to get back to work after serving their country. Please join with the American Legion, the nation's largest veteran service organization, in recognizing that veterans are a proven commodity. They're mature, reliable, and hardworking. The training and experience they receive in the military is second to none. Do you really want to honor a veteran? Hire one. Go to legion.org slash honorveterans to find out how you can help. Hello? I'm Mr. Red. No doubt you've heard about rescue groups for dogs and cats. But did you know there's a rescue group for horses? That's right. It's called Horse It Around Rescue. Founders Steve Boyce and Teresa Worrell are helping out all those equine victims of neglect and cruelty by giving them a place to restore their health and wellness. And Horse It Around provides a nurturing and natural environment where horses can be horses, so they can be adopted out into forever homes. More than 120 horses, mules, and donkeys have been adopted out, but like everything else, it costs money to run the project. Horse It Around is a 501c3 nonprofit located in Southeast Arizona. Your tax-deductible donations to Horse It Around will go a long way so those horses can be horses. Check out the website, horseitaroundrescue.org. Make a difference in a horse's life. That's horseitaroundrescue.org. 
Hello, podcast listeners. I'm Tom, the host of the Movie Zealots podcast, and I'm inviting you to give the Movie Zealots podcast a listen. Every episode, my co-hosts and I review the latest box office releases, but there's more than simply just that. We also play games like the Alexa quote of the show and may the odds be ever in your favor and have a from the cutting room floor segment that is an open forum to discuss anything from our thoughts of a Netflix TV series to our experiences with movie subscriptions such as the AMC Stubs or MoviePass. So, after finishing this podcast, please give the Movie Zouts podcast a listen. We can be found on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, and Google Play. Simply search Movie Zouts. Until then, that's a wrap. Well, you're not going to use the story, Mr. Scott? No, sir. This is the West, sir. When the legend becomes fact, print the legend. This is the Voices of the West. back on Emil Franzi's Voices of the West. Harry Alexander, Bunker de France. Our guests are David Layton and uh, John Rhodes. And Our honored guests. Honored guests. And John, you aren't wearing headphones, but uh, I always have to play the theme to the High Chaparral on yeah. the bottom of the hour break. And, and when we come back, because if I don't, he walks. He was in 52 of them. <laughs> yeah, and so not I, only that, I'll cut all the cords before yeah. I leave, and then I'll really be up the creek without a paddle. So anyway, uh, <laughs> we just have fun. We are we're talking uh, we're, we're talking about the first father and son rodeo world champions, uh, John Tewksbury Rhodes and uh, uh, Tom Rhodes, and there are just so many doggone stories here. I don't know where. <laughs> I just took a peek through the book that uh, John brought, Mm -hmm. or the little kind of family history thing there, and those guys, they took a lot of money home. They did. Yeah, they did. They did. They they done good. They they did. Did they do? It was it all just money, or was there were you know now there's the belt buckles? Well, no. I've got watches, and I've got. Four or five buckles, and my dad won. I think. I think at one point, I remember there was four saddles hanging in the barn. <laughs> well, you know, John Belly tells about you know when he was rodeoing up in uh, Montana that a lot of times because this is during the depression and there wasn't a lot of money to go around, the prize would be groceries or a pair of jeans or something like that. It was just you know because it was it was full blown rodeo. But it was wasn't full blown prizes like you have today. I, I don't know whether in, in, when you I don't know whether you're going through here, but in 1944, when my dad won the world championship, in uh, uh, he what he won, what he got was yeah, where is it? Anyway, all he got was a piece of cardboard that said you're the world champion. <laughs> What <laughs> one of those big checks like no, you do nowadays? No, yeah. no, it's just a little tiny piece of cardboard. Yeah, right. Rodeo on a budget, they call it. <laughs> <laughs> but that was forty-four. Those are the yeah. Hey, so with with all of this history in your family, you did not follow in those footsteps, did you? <laughs> well, that, therein lies another story. <laughs> he uh, joined, he was, joined the military. Yeah, I was. Uh, <laughs> when. I, my father and mother were divorced when I was two, and all the old ranchers in those days couldn't get to school easily because of right. And so they all owned houses in Tucson, all the ranchers over there. And so the Rhodes family owned a ranch next to the Freeman family, my my mother's family, uh, about a block apart. One's where Mansfield Junior High is across the street from it. One's now underneath the U of A stadium. But and they lived there and they grew up together, my mother and father, and that was fine growing up. But after they got married, it didn't work so well. <laughs> as is usually the case. And they were good friends, so they got married. Yeah. yeah. So my mother was got a. This was World War Two. My mother got a job working for the government inspecting food plants that were making sea rations, and they centered all these food plants all over the West. And my dad was rodeoing, so neither one of them could keep me. So I was raised by. My grandmother in town uh-huh. when I was during the school, and my grandmother at the ranch in the summer, and 
holidays. So you got a lot of lot of different ranch history and family history by being in two different places. Yes, and uh-huh. and the so when in uh, my and, dad and contradictory no doubt <laughs> contradictory history no doubt. <laughs> <laughs> no, they they got along fine. Oh, okay, they they did they did they. Uh, the branch families are that way. <laughs> <laughs> they, uh, um, so when uh, um, after my da- after I started getting older, and my dad bought the ranch for my grandmother uh, that she got when she and my grandfather were divorced. Mm-hmm. <laughs> she got one <laughs> ranch and he took another one, um, and my dad bought it. And so he used to take me up to the ranch, and I used to go up there and work for him all summer and at all vacations mm-hmm. he'd come down on Friday and pick me up and take Spring me up. Fall so I had no social life in Tucson. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but uh and I, I used to rope a lot and uh so I thought I should be able to do this. I'm in I was in high school, I said I should be able to do this. So I I ran across this guy named Mel Potter and I don't know if any of you have yeah. ever heard of Mel Potter. He's his daughter Sherry Servey's famous as a barrel racer. She yeah. had been worth three or four times. I knew her. Yeah. And he and I went to high school together, and so he used to rope out. He had a little place out on the east side, and so we and I used to rope. We said, "Let's go down to Wilcox and we'll enter the rodeo down there." Well, I didn't want my dad to know it because he didn't want me want me to have anything to do with it. So we went down there, and I'm looking for a place to get a horse so we could rope. And I see an old family friend, Bum Post, who owned Post Feed and Supply out there mm-hmm. in Fort Lowell. Mm-hmm. And he was an old family friend. I said, Bum, can I borrow uh, your horse so I can rope with Mel? Sure, no problem. So I borrowed Mel, borrowed Bum's horse, and we roped. And then a couple of weeks later, I'm mean, going to town to get a load of hay. I'm driving the truck in, my he and my dad going to get some load of hay. And we get there, and, <laughs> and we get drive in, and Bum says, well, sorry you didn't win anything, but the horse worked all right for you, didn't <laughs> <laughs> And Dad, Dad was not pleased. I and I had to listen to that for an hour and a half going <laughs> the, the speech. <laughs> he, said, he said, you know, you're a $40 cowboy, all right, $40 a month cowboy, but you're not a cowman. When you get to be a cowman, then you can start rodeoing. Yeah. Was that the reason he did not want you to do that? Yes. Uh, okay. he, he wanted me to stay there and learn and the learn. car business yeah, yeah, rather yeah. than, you know, go off because I wasn't there all the time. I didn't go through everything. You know, that's a great point that, you know, it doesn't get stressed enough. The difference between the cowboy and the cowman the cowboy and the rancher, because there was a there was a distinction there, great deal. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, a lot of people think you know, I can see the movies or the books, and they think they're interchangeable, and they're not. Yeah, that, and little known fact is that the the family between the Mercer boys of the, my grandmother had, and who are now his stepsons, they owned over three, they controlled over three hundred thousand acres. Mm-hmm. On the back side, of, um, on the front side, of the Catalinas and the Galera Mountains, mm. yeah. uh, from Reddington clear past Mammoth. Mm. Wow! And uh, but through People, that's a lot of land out there. It's a lot yeah, of land. Yeah. not productive land. A lot, no, but a lot of land. <laughs> Pretty poor, but <laughs> but anyway. So when I knew I was going to be drafted, and so I joined the Marine Reserve unit because my one of my cousins said we had been in Korea and he lost a finger and a part of his foot. And I says, gee, I ought to do that. <laughs> Sounds like said, no, you're yeah. not tough enough to be a Marine. So I said, well, of course I am. So I joined the Marine Reserve Unit, so I wouldn't, because I wanted to go to the U of A and play football. Yeah. And uh, so I joined it while I was in high school. I joined the Reserve Unit. And so I, you saw Marine Corps Reserve. Yeah. I, uh-huh. And so then I went to the, uh, enrolled and went out for football, and then they said, okay, uh, here's your classes and here's your books. I said, I didn't come here to read all these books. I came here to play football. Yeah. <laughs> so I gave them to a friend of mine. Says, turn these in, and I left. I went in the Marine Corps. Yeah. Because I knew I was going to get drafted. And when I got ready to get out in '58, Arizona was in a terrible drought, very bad yeah. drought. And my dad was having to sell off an awful lot of his cattle. Yeah, I went in the Navy that year. And he said, he said, I don't know what we're going to have when you get home. I said, well, I don't know anything else now. You know, I, I go back and be a forty dollar a month cowboy, or I can stay in the Marine Corps. So your career. So I stayed in the Marine Corps. Yeah. And, uh, 
Well, you retired. did twenty plus years, or yeah, twenty one years. Twenty one years. Uh -oh. What you? What rank did you retire? In? <laughs> major. A major. Yeah, I was selected. I was went in. Were you a Mustanger, or would you? Yeah, go? I was a Mustang. Oh, okay. Um, That's impressive, Harry. I know. He he told me the he, Marine Corps. He told me about the. He told me the story before you got here. Oh well, so, I didn't get to hear it. Well, no, you didn't. So, <laughs> but. Well, that's part of the that's part of the roads and tweaks for history. Let me hear this story here. Got <laughs> <laughs> to be a good one. I, when I enlisted the Marine Corps, they sent me to radio school, and I learned Morse code. Mm -hmm. And uh, when they sent me, I went to all, my first duty station, Albany, Georgia, and then I went overseas to to Okinawa. Uh, and Lovely I was resort. Uh, they were looking for somebody to run a Mars station. Yeah, and. I knew the Morse code, but you had to also know the the, uh, the electronic, all the electronics. Yeah. How uh, to how to work the equipment yeah, and fix it again, or repair it, and what all the things meant. So, and I didn't know that, but the guy that was running the station says, "I can teach you that as long as you, because most people it's hard to teach the code to enough to pass the test." Sure. So he did, and he, he and he, so I ended up with. Uh, uh, going through uh, and getting my license, and I ran the Mars station there in Okinawa, and got orders back to the states. I went to San Diego, uh, where was one of my Mars contacts was a was a gentleman in San Diego, and I got stationed at the recruit depot in San Diego, and I used to call him on the phone to give him messages to be sent. They sent them all over, mm -hmm. and I'd call him rather than send him over the air because I could call him anytime. And his daughter started answering the phone. Eventually, I met her. Mm -hmm. Lost interest in the him. And mm -hmm. She and I have been married 58 years now. <laughs> <laughs> nice, nice, nice. Oh, that's a great story. <laughs> so then I went to, from there, they took me, and I went back and ran the, the Mars station at headquarters Marine Corps. And one of the additional duties was I was in charge of the sound system for the Marine Mem all the ceremonies to Marine Memorial uh, statue. Yeah, and uh, so I got to do that, and then I was selected for warrant officer. And uh, when Vietnam came along, I got transferred back out to the West Coast. When mm -hmm. Vietnam came along, they weren't they were short because of the rapid buildup. They were short of officers, so they took a bunch of us warrant officers, made second lieutenants out of us. Right. We, we took the shot and lost our prestige and also lost yeah. some pay. So you were during, also during the Korean conflict? No, I went in just, just prior? I, I was in the reserves right at the end of it. Oh, okay. But uh, if you've talked to these guys, there was a company from yeah. Tucson that went to mm -hmm. uh, but And so that's that's yeah. how I ended up. <laughs> that's a great story. Uh, you know, I want to I kind of travel back to the past here for a moment. And let's see. Wait a sec, do you have a time machine that you haven't told us about? Well, actually, actually, I have Dr. Peabody's Wayback Machine. He is a, t he is a time machine. <laughs> Whoa. Yeah, let's see, what is it here? Let's see. Well, let's do this. While you, okay. while you look for what you want to talk about, we'll do our, our last commercial break here. Okay. How's that work out for you? Do it, Harry. Hey. Don't hold back, man. Do it. Harry, you are a schemer. You know? You are the man, Harry. That's why I get the top dollars here. Yeah. This is Emil Franzi's Voices of the West. Yeah. We will be back with much more right after this. Besides bringing millions a year into this community with national and international events, the Tucson Trap and Skeet Club at 7800 West Old Ajo Highway services the local shooting sports community with a 380-acre site featuring trap, skeet, pipe stand, and two sporting clays fields, as well as a 9,000-square-foot clubhouse, which all is available to local shooters, and soon an archery range. Check it out at TucsonTrapAndSkeet.com or take a drive out west of town and see it for yourself. New members or single-day use, welcome. Hi, this is Joe Montaigne. Every time my Uncle Willie tells me about his service in Patton's Third Army in World War II, I'm reminded of what we owe the U.S. Army. Fourteen generations of American soldiers who have courageously defended our nation. Their stories represent the best of America and should never be forgotten. Join me to help build the National Museum of the United States Army, a long overdue tribute to all American soldiers. To learn more, visit armyhistory.org. 
Imus Wilkinson Investments, 777-1911, is a unique investment management firm. They pay little attention to where the market indicators are because smart investment management goes way beyond checking stock exchanges. They are very good at managing all types of investment based on client expectations. They build relationships, and they want clients, not customers. My family is proudly included among them, and they'll help you, as they did us, design a portfolio that achieves what you want when you need it. Imus Wilkinson Investments, they're really good at what they do. 777-1911. Shishko, do we have to leave all our good friends now? Only until next time, Pancho. Adios, amigos. This is the Voices of the West. I'm a rodeo rider. A pickup truck driver. Wild horses and bulls know my name. I'm a dead-eyed straight shooter. A fast ringtail tutor. I treat all the ladies the same. We are back on Emil Fancy's of Voices of the West. Harry Alexander, Bunker de France, and our guests John Rhodes and David Layton. And uh, we're back up here a little bit. Uh, John is a descendant of the some of the principals who were involved in the Pleasant Valley War up in the uh, is that Graham area, right? Is that Safford and Graham? Uh, no, it's the county. I only grew the up. Graham's lived up there. I only I only grew up here. You know, I just don't know the geography. <laughs> what would you know? Yeah, for sure. Um, a little programming note here: we will be next time uh, this show is on. Oh yeah. We will be down in Elgin, Arizona. Where is Elgin? You ask. Well, yeah. Why? It's, it's uh, just a bit south of the Empire Ranch, and the reason we're going down there is because we, Bunker and I, were invited to come down there and do a talk on uh, a movie that they're going to be showing, and they're going to be showing the original Monty Walsh, starring Lee Marvin. And, and we're going to have we're going Todd to be, Roberts. We're going to be talking. That's right. We're going to be talking uh, with Todd Roberts, uh, whose dad produced both Monty Walsh movies. And uh, our movie for next week is not Monty Walsh, but it's going to be McKenna's Gold. And uh, that's because it's the 50th anniversary of the release of that picture. Escaping that picture. Yeah. And so um, that's that's the gist of what's happening next and next time. And by golly, we need a scorecard. It's going to be fun. Need a scorecard on that? And we'll get fed. <clears throat> well, yeah. The and then we, we have to give a talk. Wait, we'll, we're we'll, getting fed. Um, then I guess I'll be coming with you. Okay. Uh, I need. I do need somebody. <laughs> hey, to, I do fun. need somebody to carry the equipment. Right, and I've been working out and drinking milk lately, so I think I can handle that for you. Well, well, you bring raw milk or, or homogenized or pasteurized? You know, I, I'll I'll drink both. You know, both. The, the, the chocolate milk's even better. The, yeah, that's that comes from chocolate cows, you know. I, I knew that actually. People don't believe me when I tell them there are chocolate cows. That's right. you know? Did you ever think if you, if you had brindle cows, you'd have brindle milk? Yeah. I never really thought about that actually. Yeah, it wasn't think, something I think I about those. I think I stay up late at night thinking about those things. I ask was thinking ask about you to find what a brindle cow is. I can't even answer that question either. No, no, could, you, could you imagine some old cow? Well, this is go, this is going back now to the period of the Tweaksburys and the Grahams. Some old Scottish rancher over here with his tartans and his, his plaids and everything. They're called and some some cow seeing that and getting scared and giving plaid milk. <laughs> Oh, anyway. well, well, that's, well, that's the new Before we go any farther, I've got a backtrack where I'm going to have cold food for supper. <laughs> We've been married 59 years, not oh, 58. Oh, 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 <laughs> okay, now we go on. Right. Well, right. Maybe, so, maybe, she was, maybe she was fixing supper when you said that. Right, she didn't hear it. If she is, it's in the garbage. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so uh, the audience can tell we have just a ton of fun uh, when we do these programs. So you had something before we yeah, went to the I've break. Got, I've got a list of books here that you have been dealing with that, but one book in particular. Are you familiar with Hell on the Range? It was by Daniel Justin Herman. No. It's kind of interesting because it's a story of honor, conscience, and the American West. And it's kind of kind of that sociological approach to history, which can get kind of weird. But one of the things that he brought up in there, which I thought was interesting, he, he, he posed this question. Was there a conflict between the Cowboys' code of honor and the Mormons' code of conscience? Because that was Mormon country up there. Yes, it was Mormon country, and um, obviously I have no idea, uh, yeah. but uh, 
probably there was because there was always uh, I know that uh, you know they they certainly were they didn't know who in the, the Mormon communities up yeah. there weren't aware of who the good guys and the bad guys yeah, they were, were very close they were losing they were losing all their stock yeah and they didn't have any idea who was taking it because I got to thinking it. you know you think about the conflict uh, between two ranching families really what it was is the sheep were just incidental uh, but it was a matter of, of principle and honor you you shot my brother you know it's it's the old you know Johnny Cash song you know yeah. you shot my brother I'm gonna have to shoot your brother and and it just keeps going like that because as long as there's brothers, there's shootings. Okay, so that's just like the the gun smoke episode with uh, when cousin uh, Eli comes uh, looking for Festus to shoot the uh, yeah. shoot the hanging down part off his ear, not the whole ear, just the hanging down part. Well, that's, that's the only part you want to shoot off. Well, and that's because Festus's dad shot off <laughs> his uncle's. Hanging down part, and he couldn't be a pirate because he had no place to wear his rear ring. You know, so there you go. <laughs> if you want to read, a, if you want to read the latest book, and probably the best one, they seem to always get a little bit better because they mm -hmm. get a little more information. The, it was just written, and it's called "The Valley of the Guns." And <laughs> I don't have that one. It's there. just, it's just come out. It's, it's only been out. Yeah. Maybe six months. Well, let me run out some books at you because I okay. thought these were kind of good. I thought this this looked like an interview. Women of the Pleasant Valley War by Jane Jane Pye. I helped Jane with that. Matter yeah. of fact, there's if you've read that one, yeah, you'll see that I wrote an article about I just, Palma Johnson. Pieces of it, you know, yeah. And, and her her husband Jinx wrote a book called The Pleasant Valley War. Yeah, yeah. And uh, he just passed away. Now this is this is the this is, was my introduction to the Pleasant Valley War when I was just not even in high school yet was Tonto Basin by Zane Gray which was condensed called The Last Man. Yeah, that that, but, that was a that was a fiction. All, book. all fiction, yeah. but he he really drew an awful lot of source material out of that. Yeah, but it was too it was written too early. Yeah. Um the the original book Arizona's Dark and Bloody Grounds by Earl yeah, Forrest. Yeah, I put that down here. Yeah, and it was a good book as far as it went, but nobody would talk to Earl Forrest because yeah. nobody had ever been convicted of a crime, and everybody was afraid that at some point somebody was going to be able to prove something, <laughs> and they were going to go to jail, pick a scab. And, yeah, and, and to to highlight that, I have a letter that was written by Marianne Tewksbury, my great grandmother, uh -huh. to my grandfather John Rhodes. When he was 30 years old, telling her sti her story about the Pleasant Valley War. Wow. That's the first that he had really heard about it. Huh. And he and, was 30 years and old. And so, you know, there's so much of that history that didn't survive, too. Yeah. You know, let uh, the letter survive. The, the, the Jinx Pile book, uh, there was also one called uh, um, Don Dadera wrote it. Oh, there's a little war of their own. A little war of our own. Yeah. And Don was an editor for Arizona Highways. Yeah. And he did a lot of research. He had boxes of stuff. Yeah, Marshall Trimble wrote several articles for True West about it. Yeah. Well, I imagine we won't find anything being taught about it in Arizona schools because they don't teach that stuff anymore. They should. They don't teach history Somebody anymore. Killing them. Arizona, Arizona history. That's, well, my, that's my political comment. Think about this. The Pleasant Valley War, more casualties than the Hatfield-McCoys, the Lincoln County War, and the Johnson County War. All three of them put together just about comes close to it, but doesn't equal it. Hmm. You know, just as an aside, <laughs> my grandmother, Bessie McKinney, was, um, who married my grandfather, had three cousins. Joe T. McKinney, who was uh, the only lawman that could go in and out of Pleasant Valley. Tom Kip McKinney, who was Pat Garrett's deputy when he shot Billy the Kid. Mm -hmm. And the third cousin was a man named Tom Foliard. Tom Foliard is buried in the grave with Billy the Kid because he was his best friend. Yeah. Wow. And those three boys were her cousins. And you know, we never even touched on the hash knife at all. 
No. Well, we're going to have to do that for another one yeah. because we're plumb out of time <laughs> that's, on that's this a one. Preview, Harry. Yeah. Boy, that, the history is just absolutely incredible. John, thank you so much for being with us. It's been my pleasure. I enjoy it. And David, and David, thank you for coming along as well. Yeah, you we too, David. Thanks for having me on as usual. I, I learned quite a bit, actually. Yeah. More another column out, out of the deal, I'm sure. I just got to get a street name for it. All right, there you go. <laughs> we are plumb out of time. Thanks all for listening to Amo Franzi's Voices of the West. We'll be back next time. So until then, so long. Adios. Thanks for listening to Emil Franzi's Voices of the West.